Welcome to The Business Extra. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Today, we're talking about gender, specifically how to close the gap in business, in workplaces, in leadership positions. We've gone backwards since the pandemic in terms of the time it will take to close that gap was somewhere over 130 years. Now, to discuss the subject, we'll talk to Sue Duke, who's the Vice President of Global Public Policy and Economic Graph at LinkedIn. Before we do that, please do subscribe, or if you're on YouTube, hit that bell. Sue, thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. So before we get into the kind of detail of the latest statistics on on gender and and closing the the gap that I think is at around 132 years at the moment, uh, which is an improvement on 2021, actually. Um, but you you work at LinkedIn, which as a global um, online company that is tracking uh, jobs and work in real time, you know what what is it that that LinkedIn's able to bring in terms of perspective to not just gender but to to all the all topics related to work and labor markets most people who use linkedin come to the platform to connect with other professionals to learn new skills and to keep up to date with what's going on and the, the what our work and the economic graph team does is look at all of the, those data points, those millions of interactions that are happening on the platform every day amongst those 830 million people who are a member of LinkedIn to try and figure out the macro trends that are happening out there in the labor market. So we have this extremely unique lens on the labor market, looking at specific skills that are changing, specific industries that are changing, specific demographic changes, And what we do with that data is take it and give it to members, give it to companies and give it to governments to really help them understand what are the changes they individually, corporately or as a country need to make in in order to respond to what is a very fast paced, very dynamic labour market that we all live in today. And I think this is a resource that obviously didn't exist a decade ago. I mean, before we, we had to rely on the fragmented reporting, whether it was governments or I know there were global uh, talent and recruitment companies, but they didn't necessarily have the, the dynamic level of data that, that platforms like LinkedIn are able to gather. And, and specifically, we're talking about um, now gender, a very important topic because improving diversity, not just in workplaces, but in boardrooms and in, in decision, where decision makers sit is really important for our resilience. It's really important for more dynamic organizations. And, and given all the challenges we're facing globally, from climate change to inflation to, to you name it, we need to have the diversity of thinking, the diversity of talent, wherever we can. So when it comes to gender, uh, the World Economic Forum's latest data shows that it's, we're still you know, more than a century, well over a century away from closing that gap between men and women in the workforce and in, in senior positions. but it's a slight improvement, isn't it? It is a slight improvement, um, but uh, over 130 years from now to be a parody, we should not be in any way happy or complacent about that. And I also think it's worth remembering that whilst it is an improvement on last year's gap, we have gone backwards since before the pandemic. And that is very consistent with what LinkedIn has been seeing as we, we've been tracking these 
gender trends for a very long time now. It's something we're hyper-focused on. And we have seen the same thing, which is to say that when there has been big shocks, like there was with the pandemic, which brought big economic shocks, which brought big, big disruptions to the labor market, it was women who took the biggest hit. And if you look at the at the, at the WEF gender gap report, we are looking at specifically when it comes to economic opportunity and economic participation. It's 151 years based on current trends. If we extrapolate out, we're 151 years from reaching parity. So we have a lot of work to do and we got to do it fast to get that number way down, to get that gap way down and to bring equity and parity within reach much sooner than that. I mean, they've, you're, you're contributing not only to the World Economic Forum report, but other institutions that are, that are tracking this kind of data. And, and it, it, when these discussions happen about research and, and all of that, are there also discussions about which policies and tools will be best, best placed to help resolve this, 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 I guess it's a crisis as well? Yeah, so one of the really valuable things about the LinkedIn data and one thing that we hear constantly from the partners we work with, whether it's national governments or international institutions like the World Economic Forum, like the UN, like the OECD, is the value of the data is being able to really go down to that granular level and understand specifically where is it that men and women's careers are diverging. So when we look at something like the leadership gap, that is very real. Progress is inching forward. And again, during the pandemic, we saw some reversal of progress and some stagnation. In areas like leadership, where when we look globally, 31% of leadership roles are held by women. And when we look at the UAE specifically, that number is even lower. It's 20%. So one in five leadership roles are held by women in in the UAE. When we dive into that and try and figure out what is going on there, what happens before that leadership point that has led us to that, the data is enormously valuable because it allows us to see where those gaps emerge. And there are two specific gaps in the report where we're shining a light to say, look, These are where there are significant problems. We have got to target our efforts, our resources, and our policies right here. The first is getting into that first management position, and the second is getting an internal promotion. So when we look at that move from that first significant move into a leadership role, which is from an individual contributor role to a manager role, globally, we see a 9% drop off. Right there. So that first, you can think of that management role, that first management role is your first entry point, your first stepping stone into becoming a leader. Already, there's a 9% drop for women. So we are highlighting that specifically so we can start to target our energy at that point. We have got to start focusing as organizations and as government at women at that pre-manager role. So we address that first gap. Similarly, internal promotions. We have a problem there. Globally, men are one third more likely to get an internal promotion than women. It's a little bit better in the UAE. We're at about 22% there. Still not right. Still needs to be improved. And we are again highlighting that to say 
organizations, companies need to look at their own policies and practices, and they need to ensure that we improve those numbers. And that can be things like ensuring we have diverse panels who are up for internal roles, diverse interviewing practices, diverse interviewers on, on panels who are interviewing for internal roles. And again, ensuring that men and women within organizations are getting equal opportunities as new promotions, new opportunities open up within companies. Uh, uh, anecdotally, why, why do you think it is that this isn't moving fast enough? That whether it's internal promotions or getting that first senior management position, is it still old fashioned thinking? Is that what, what, what's against us? Look, I think when we're looking at this scale of inequity, we are looking at systemic challenges. There are systemic challenges facing women, which have resulted in this systemic uh, over 100, year, um, 100 years to, to close this, this gender gap. And we have got to think about addressing this problem systemically. And I think there's a couple of key things there. I think there are policy and practices, and I think there, there are cultural changes required as well. Again, what we are trying to do with this report is really focus in on what are the policies and practices, and specifically, where are those inflection points where we need to address inequities emerging? There are three key areas there that we're, uh, we think we need to start focusing on. The first is around getting more women through the ranks of those organizations so that they're getting into those leadership roles. So again, that internal mobility is absolutely crucial. We have to get organizations looking at that. And again, we've identified a specific problem at that first manager level. If we don't start focusing on closing the gap there, obviously the further you go, the further that problem is exacerbated. So again, globally, when we look at what's going on. We see that women are almost parity when it comes to entry-level roles. But when we get to that manager level, so we're, we're starting at roughly 50%. When we get to manager level, we're down to about a third. And then by the time we get to C-suite, we're down to about a quarter. So again, we have to change those policies and practices so that we're bringing women through internally within organizations. Secondly, we have to bring, we've got, have got to focus on hiring women from outside organizations into leadership roles. And there we see a real need to focus on hiring practices fundamentally. So ensuring bias is removed from job descriptions, ensuring that we have a diverse panel of candidates put in front of interviewers and ensuring we have diversity in that interview panel as well. And thirdly, looking at policies that are being offered to female leaders when it comes to family benefits um, and flexibility. And that, that flexibility point is the third key one I think that we have to focus on. We have seen time and time again that that is something that is crucially, crucially important to women if they are going to be able to manage care responsibilities and professional responsibilities. And one thing we're advocating for very, very strongly is that we change that cultural mindset when it comes to flexibility, not just when it comes to women, but when it comes to men too, and normalizing flexibility in the workplace, allowing both men and women to juggle the responsibilities that they have outside of work is going to be fundamental to ensuring that they become equal within work. That's a lot of insight there. And, and I think the latter point you made about uh, flexibility, to a certain extent, that's become a really live hot issue because of the pandemic 
and w- remote working or working from home. And we still haven't seen how that's shaken out. Although if in some markets that the power is with the, with the employee that is now choosing to leave a role or choose a particular role because there is flexibility and remote working or, or whatever might be involved, then that should help that, that latter problem you're talking about. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. One of the one of the things that we talk about a lot about at LinkedIn is the great reshuffle. And that's exactly what you're talking about, with which is this fundamental reimagining of work that happened during the pandemic. We all started to think about not just where am I working or how am I working, but also why am I working and what is it that I really want from work? And flexibility has been the really, really big theme that came through, not just for for women, but for men and for workers across all demographics. So a particularly stark statistic to really bring this home, before the pandemic, right before it hit in January 2020, if you went on LinkedIn, one in 61 jobs was a remote job. If you go on LinkedIn today, it's one in six. One in six jobs has been offered as a remote job. And that gives you a really, really strong sense of just how fundamental this shift is. And frankly, just how big an opportunity that provides us to reimagine how we work and to make work work for women in a way it hasn't in the past so that we can achieve equity. And that, again, we need to think about how can we capitalize and turn an opportunity, turn the crisis of the pandemic into an opportunity. And you're absolutely spot on that that fundamental shift in work that we've seen across the board is one of the key ones. And, and, and so to go back to the former point you were making, Sue, about the once, if it entry level, we're seeing some you know, close to parity in terms of men and women being hired. But then the big, the big drop-off comes with that first promotion into management roles, which seem to be going more to men than women. Does a shift to more flexibility help that or hinder giving women the opportunity if they're not physically in the office, if we aren't physically in the office as much as we were before? Yeah, it's a great question. What we do see very, very clearly is that women want flexibility more than men. So on average, women are 26% more likely to apply for one of those remote roles than men are. And that really drives home just how critical flexibility is for women and what a crucial role that flexibility, that ability to manage their their care responsibilities and and personal responsibilities with their professional responsibilities is for women. But to your point, we have to introduce that flexibility and normalize that flexibility for men as well. What we don't want to happen is that double shift, that so-called double shift where women were managing care responsibilities and professional responsibilities during the pandemic. We don't want to see that exacerbated. And in order to avoid that, we need to ensure that there's that equitable sharing of all responsibilities at work and at home. And the way to get there is to normalize flexibility for everybody. So I guess if if I'm a manager or I'm on a panel and I'm trying to choose between candidates um, and you have candidates of equal um, ability, uh, let's say, but and this is for the that first management role that you're talking about. Maybe you can we can kind of talk a little bit. About what would be the benefits of helping close this gap at that level? So I mean, if you go, I'm not saying quotas necessarily, but if it's in my mind and I'm saying, well, if it's a straight up choice between a man and a woman for this role, 
and I, I'm going to give it to to the woman because I know that we need to re- address this this gap. Will there also be a benefit from from helping to 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 close this gap too? I think there needs to be something tangible beyond uh, emotion, or it's the right thing to do. Shall we say? You said it yourself at the at the outset, which is we know very very clearly all the studies, all the literature tells us very very clearly that diverse workplaces are successful and productive workplaces, and diverse societies will be the same. And so it is crucially important that we do close this gap. And we know that if we, when we have this gap at that first entry point into leadership, if we don't improve that, then that it continues and indeed is exacerbated the right the way through up to the most senior leadership level. So by the time we get to C-suite, and to your, po- your point at the outset, when the decisions are being made, when strategies are being set, we are at 25% represent, representation for women at C-suite. So we have got to improve the pipeline of women from the start right through up to C-suite if we're going to ensure that we achieve that equity in the workplace and if we are all going to benefit from more equitable and therefore more successful places of work. So if we, if we spoke focus on the Middle East, North Africa, I, I saw a couple of points. One was that um, the 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 gender gap is 115 years. Uh, it looks slightly better, but again, I mean, to your point earlier, we, we're we're falling behind compared to before the pandemic. But also the other the other point about entrepreneurial spirit, if you like, that women in this region are more likely to start their own business to almost accelerate, um, you know, closing that gap for the, doing it for themselves essentially. Yeah, it's off the charts. That is so that during the pandemic specifically. So what we have seen is a longer term trend. Again, we've been looking at this area for a very long time and and we have seen a longer term trend, which is women striking out on their own and setting up their own businesses at a faster rate than men. But that went off the charts during the pandemic. So when we looked at the share of women setting up their own businesses in 2020, so remember that first crucial year of the pandemic when we when the labor market was under a lot of pressure and women again were taking that disproportionate hit when we look at 2020 versus 2019 globally we saw a 45 percent uplift of women setting up their own businesses and to your point in the uae that number was a massive 68 percent now we know that some of those women were setting up new businesses because there were new opportunities. The pandemic threw up um, opportunities that hadn't existed before because of the way work changed, because you could do things online that you couldn't do before and that reduced setup costs, etc. But we also know that many of those women set up their own businesses out of necessity. And we're calling some of those those women necessity entrepreneurs, which is to say that they were so hit by economic headwinds, by inequitable workplaces, and again, this inability to cope with managing these care responsibilities and work responsibilities that they stepped out of their roles, roles in organizations that they had and set up on their own. And that is a trend that we're continuing to see women setting up businesses at a faster rate than men and really, as you say, trying to take control of their own destiny, destinies and set things up in a way that's going to work for them. So, so one of the things I, I, I heard some entrepreneurs discussing 
who are from from the region was that um women have less opportunity to take risks compared to men often they they're responsible for pay, for ensuring bills are paid the household costs while men tend to have a woman to rely on to be able to go and 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 take these risks do you think that that this idea of necessity now is 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 slightly helping with that that women have to take risks now regardless of what the situation is or is there still a need for men to to realize as well that that they have to create an environment where where both both genders are able to to take that risk on a new business if that's what they want to do it's too early to say whether this trend is going to be a good thing or a bad thing for women or a good thing or a bad thing for equity we don't know that yet we do know that part of the driver for that surge in female founders is inequity is an an inability to manage within the existing framework and to cope with those systemic challenges that we discussed before and it's crucially important that we put in place the supports in an equitable way that will allow those women to continue to grow and thrive and fund those businesses and take those risks in the same way that men are in a position to do as you say Sue Duke from LinkedIn thank you so much for being with us Thank you it was a pleasure Well, that's all we've got time for today. All that remains to thank our production team and you all for being with us. Join us again next time.